0: Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21. In the Old Testament, God promised Israel several things. He told them that if they followed his law, they they would be blessed. If they didn't follow his law, they would be cursed. And that they would be sent into captivity. God predicted the time they would be in captivity... Uh, 70 years, and also that they would return from captivity. He even predicted the king that would send them back. All of those things came to pass in history, and these things are evidence of the truthfulness and the reliability of God's promises. The Bible also says that Jesus would come, and Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come. Uh, that he would suffer as our suffering servant and be raised from the dead. All of those things are prophesied. All of those things came to pass in history. We need the promises of God as God's people because all of us go through times in life where we struggle. We go through times of life where things are difficult. And we need the promises of God to be an anchor for our soul. We also need the promises of God to motivate us to action and to help us to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. I believe John here in this scripture is seeking not only to predict and relate what he has seen in his vision uh, of this new city, but also uh, to motivate us to trust the promises of God. And we need to trust the promises of God. It will be a blessing to us, and it will be a blessing to this world as we do. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 and begin reading in verse 1. Excuse me, verse 5. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. I will give to the thirsty from the spring of living water as a gift. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then, if you will, flip over with me to chapter 22, verse 6. We'll come back to the other, but look at verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Sound familiar? And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must quickly take place. Look, I am coming quickly. Blessed is the one who keeps the prophetic words of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow slave with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he also said to me, Don't seal the prophetic words of this book, because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy. Go on being made filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness and let the holy go on being made holy. Look, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs, the, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come, and the one who is thirsty should Come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city written in this book. He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace... Of the Lord Jesus be with the saints. And amen. I want you to see several things, several promises that God has given us. And and the title of the message is Trusting in God's Promises. Uh, But I I want you to see several things that Jesus wants us to trust Him for. And by the way, uh, this scripture here uh, speaks of the one speaking from the throne. And there's a scripture that says that Jesus sits upon the throne with the Father. Uh, and then you look in chapter 22, and Jesus says, I, Jesus, am saying these things. And so we have this promise from Jesus, and I think that's an important point because uh, some will say that the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament, Jesus, is the God of grace, and they contrast the two, but there's no contrasting. It's one God. And And both in chapter 21 and in chapter 22, you see Jesus giving promise of the fact that not only will there be great blessing for the children of God who place their faith in Jesus, but also that judgment will come. So I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus has promised us uh, to make all things new. Verse 5 says, the one seated on the throne said, look, or behold, I am making everything new. I remember the first time I bought a new car, and this was an exciting thing to me. I had uh, left my old dead car sitting in the parking lot of the mall because it wouldn't start, and it was the last straw in a series of breakdowns. And so I, I went to buy a Toyota, okay, because I, I understood that those things ran for a long time. I was fed up. And so I went, I bought that car, and it was, it was great. It had the new car smell, you know, and, and it was exciting. Was, it was clean. It was, didn't have a smell or anything like that, you know. It was, it was great, and I was so excited because I had a new car. But you know what I found? Everything we have that's new ends up getting old. Uh, a few years later, I wrecked my car on Stimmons uh, Freeway in Dallas, and that was the end of my car. But you know, God has said that he will make all things new. I don't think we can fully grasp how awesome that's going to be. When everything that we know, everything that we see, there will be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, except for the fact that it will not be tainted by sin. There will be no curse. Everything will be brand new. And we'll be able to enjoy creation as God intended us to enjoy it. There will be no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All things new. There will be no sin. God will have given those of us who have trusted in Him glorified bodies. There will be no more old sin nature that we'll have to struggle with. Everything will be new. We will have perfect relationships. There won't be any relational problems. Dr. Phil gets there, he'll have to turn in his doctor's degree because there will be no need for Dr. Phil. Okay, I mean it will be completely different. All things will be made new. Jesus has said that. Now we're gonna. I'm, in a few minutes, we're gonna read the description of this this great city that God has prepared for us. Jesus said to the disciples, "I go to prepare a place for you." And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, this city is described as the bride. Look, behold, the bride of Christ is coming. And it's kind of like this. When a a human bride comes down the altar, everybody turns and looks and everybody stands, right? And you're looking at, at the bride. And somebody might whisper over and say, boy, isn't she beautiful, okay? Now, you're not just looking at the bride, you're looking at the dress as well, okay? Now, this is what he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, behold the bride. So this is the place where God's people dwell, but it is also the place, this place is a part of that. And so this city will be a place where we'll be able to dwell, and it will be unlike any city that this world has ever known. It will be beautiful beyond description. I mean, there's some description here, but I think we get, we're get we getting the Reader's Digest condensed version here. It's going to be amazing. The walls are made of gemstones. The foundations are made of precious stones. Uh, the streets are paved with gold. Uh, it, it, it will be unlike any place we've ever seen. And we will be able to enjoy it. I once heard somebody say, the most miserable place, he's a world traveler, he said, the most miserable place I've ever been is Wall Street. People there have, have frowns on their faces and concern on their, on their faces, and he said, the most happy place I've been is in Africa, in, in this obscure place, this obscure tribe of people who just were, were simple and, and enjoyed life and so forth and so on. Many people in this world have all kinds of possessions, but they can't enjoy them. They're miserable. But the point of this new city is not just that it will be great and that it will be beautiful and that it will be luxurious and all of those things. The point is not that. The point is that we will get to be with Jesus. And we will be able to truly enjoy life in the way that God intended you know the Bible says that God has made all things richly for us to enjoy? God has designed this world to bring joy to us. Uh, We messed it up when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And we've kept sinning ever since. But God designed it so we could enjoy it. So God will make all things new. That's a promise of God. So this week when you're struggling and... You're having a hard time, or maybe you're struggling with in your, with with some sin in your life, or maybe struggling in some relationship in your life. Take heart, brothers and sisters. Jesus is going to make all things new. Let's trust him to do what he said he would promise. Uh, the second thing that he has promised is that he will give eternal life freely. He will give eternal life freely. He actually mentions this twice. Uh, If you look at um, uh, verse 6, he says, I will give to the thirsty from the spring of living water as a gift. Uh, The the Greek word uh, actually means uh, uh, as a gift of grace or or as as freely, without cost. Uh, Jesus said, I am the water of life. It's his presence that he is giving freely, not just here in this life for those who trust him, but also when we go to meet him there. Uh, he gives eternal life freely. Now look, look with me, if you will, flip with me over to chapter 22, verse 17. Spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should Come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. Same word. As a gift. There are a lot of people in the world that believe that you earn salvation by what you do. Jesus says, you don't have a relationship with me by being good. Because first of all, the Bible says all have sinned. We aren't good. You say, well, I'm good. Well, what about bad attitude? What about... Impure thoughts. The Bible says those things are sins. What about not doing the things we know we ought to do? The Bible says those things are sins. We are guilty. Not only are we guilty, we are supremely guilty. If we begin to look at what God's standard is, his standard is perfection, and we are so false, far short of it, it is, it's hard to comprehend. There is only one way we can find salvation. And that's through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sin and paid our debt He lived a perfect life before that, never committed sin. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way just as we are, but yet without sin. He never sinned one single time. He lived a perfect life on my behalf and on your behalf if if you'll trust him. And the Bible says that uh, he rose from the dead after three days And the Bible says because he paid our debt, we can be forgiven. Because he lived a perfect life, we can be declared righteous or innocent in God's sight. It's all about Jesus. That's why he says, come to me. There's no other religion. There's no other cult. There's no thing that we can look to aside from Jesus Christ. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Acts it says, neither is there uh, any other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. You say, well, I still believe it's by works. Well, let me quote you a scripture verse. The Bible says, for you have been saved by grace. That means God's given you something you don't deserve. You've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. God gives salvation as a gift and there's a transformation that takes place with the result afterward uh, of a changed life. Titus 3.5 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. That means he hasn't given us what we do deserve. He hasn't given us the punishment for our sin. If you put your trust in Christ, God has extended mercy to you. Come receive his salvation as a gift. If you don't know Christ today, the Bible says you can respond in simple trust, to make a choice to turn from your sin in your own way and to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has provided for you in the cross. The Bible says God, based on the promise of Scripture, will give you eternal life. You'll be a part of the city. You'll be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. It is God's promise promise. I, that's good stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things. I've heard a lot of people give promises for things they didn't keep. I remember I had a sixth grade teacher. He told me, he said, uh, when you get to middle school, they'll tear up your paper for that. He used to tell us that on a regular basis. I mean, it was at least once a week. It never happened. <laughs> but praise God, his promises Always come true. You need eternal life. Come to him. He'll give it to you freely as a gift. It's his promise. Then I want you to see also that it's his promise. Jesus promises that those who refuse to repent will have their share in the lake of fire. This is Jesus' promise. I hear people today say, I don't believe in hell. Well, it doesn't matter. Jesus has promised those who reject him, those who refuse to repent, will have their share in the lake of fire. Look at what he says in verse 8 of chapter 21, by the way. The cowards, the unbelievers, the vile, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all, all liars. We don't think of lying as being that big of a deal, but God considers it a very serious sin. All liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is Scripture. This is Jesus' promise. I I know people think they're enlightened and they can get past the the fact that there's a hell. They think, well, you know, we live in an enlightened age. We don't believe in things like hell. Well, that's Jesus' promise. You say you believe in Jesus, you've got to believe in Jesus' promise. Jesus' promise is that those who who refuse to repent, those who refuse to come to him for that water of life, that salvation he gives freely, those who refuse to do that and persist in their own way will end up in hell. That's his promise. And it's just as serious a promise as a promise for eternal life. Someone said that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Because I think it was a burden of his heart. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross to deliver us, to save us from hell. To make a way for us to enter God's presence. To make a way for us to have a relationship with God so that we could avoid the punishment that our sins deserve. You say, well, I don't deserve that. Let me ask you this. Is it right to reject God's precious gift? God's Son who left the throne of glory and the worship of the angels to come to this earth, to to go through the struggles and the heartaches that we go through and to go through the rejection of His people and uh, uh, the the scourging, the spitting, the mocking, uh, and then eventually hung upon a cross to die, ridiculed. Naked or or nearly naked. For you and for me. God sent that gift for you. God sent that gift for me. If we reject the suffering of his son, we have committed a grievous sin against God. We have despised the gift that God has given for our redemption. We have despised the salvation that God, through, through great angst and through great pain to himself and to Jesus himself, uh, ex- both of them experienced great pain in that. Can you imagine giving your son to die for somebody else? That's an incredible gift. Those who reject the suffering of Christ and, and reject salvation through him, will have their own suffering to go through. And it's a just penalty for sin. Somebody once said that those who say, thy will be done, God, uh, and surrender to him, God allows them to experience the blessings of eternity. Those who say, uh, no, I refuse, God says, okay, thy will be done. And, and, And those people follow their own will in rejecting Christ and end up in hell. Now listen, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible says it's not his, his will that anybody should perish or that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. God desires, God so loved the world that he gave his son. But if we reject the provision that God has given us, Jesus has promised us that hell is the only alternative. It's a promise of God. So, Jesus promises that he'll make all things new. He promises that he'll give eternal life freely to those who put their trust in him. And he promises that those who refuse to repent will have their share in the lake of fire. I want you to also see that Jesus promises the words of this book will come true. Look at uh, 22, verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Now, he's he says that in chapter 21 too, by the way. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must quickly take place or suddenly take place. It could be translated that way as well. The idea is that this is going to come. Jesus, when he comes back, It'll be instantaneous, in the blink of an eye, the Bible says. Um, Then that great period of suffering will take place. Then uh, the time of Jesus' second coming will take place. Millennium will take place for God's people. And then eventually the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. But all of these things, events will be set into motion suddenly. People think they can just go on the way they go every single day and things will all be the same. Jesus says it's coming in an instant. So, this word, the words of this book from from the beginning to the end will come true. It's Jesus' promise. Then, verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So, so Jesus says, listen, I've sent my angel to tell you this is going to happen, but know that it's going to happen because of who I am. I'm not just the offspring of David. I'm the root of David. <laughs> I'm the one that got all this thing started. I'm the alpha and the omega. That's the Greek letter uh, equivalent to our letter A. The omega is the equivalent to our letter Z. It means the, the first and the last. Uh, I am the one who set it all in motion. I am the one who is going to finish it all. And, and, and I am the one who assures that this word will come true. The one who conquered death. The one who was involved in creation. Who spoke the universe into existence. He says, I declare by my power, I will bring these words So put your trust in the promise of God. Um, Jesus gives some warnings in, about taking away or adding to the word. And he affirms the fact that it will come based on God's promise. What about you? You placing your trust in the promises of God. Some people are trusting in money. Some people are trusting in the things of this world to satisfy them, whether it's a career or, or maybe sex or alcohol, something like that, trying to satisfy their need. They're putting their trust in all these different things. Are you putting your trust in Jesus and his promises? The world promises the high life, right, and delivers the low life. Jesus says, trust me, it may be hard now. But the best is yet to come. Trust me. Are you trusting the promises of God? How do you pr- trust the promises of God? Well, first of all, you need to make a choice to turn from your sin in your own way and to receive the forgiveness Jesus has given you. It's a choice of trust, believing and receiving that gift that he's given us. You must do that. Why? Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a is, uh, is uh, the one who gives us the fruit of faithfulness or faith, Galatians 5.22. So the Bible says that he helps to produce this faith in us, and you don't have the Holy Spirit if you're not a believer. You've never given your heart to Christ. Uh, then you need to ask God uh, to speak to you through his word, and you need to be in this word of God each and every day. You need to be uh, hearing the word of God. At, at the house of God, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God. So you, you develop your faith through the word of God. And then thirdly, you, you ask, first of all, you confess your sin, you ask God for the filling of the Holy Spirit, you surrender to him on a day-by-day basis. Lord, I choose to do your will today. And for me, it's more than that. I have to have to choose. Uh, There's a struggle that goes on throughout the day, and I have to continue to choose to do His will, surrender my my will to Him, and place my trust in Him. That's what it is to live the spirit-filled life: confession of your sin, asking for the Spirit. There's a promise that He'll give it to us if we ask Him. Now we have it, but as as believers, we're not. He's talking about the filling of the Spirit. He will give that filling to you as you ask him for it. That's what Luke says. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? It's a promise. Then you surrender so that you don't quench the Holy Spirit. And you trust in him and you obey him actively through his word and through his guidance in your life. And that is how you develop trust in the promises of God. Now, I want to close today by reading to you about this city. Because this is God's will. I, I, we've talked about God's promise and, and all, all of that, about, the, about hell and all of these things. But I want you to see what God truly desires for you today. His, he desires his best. Look with me at uh, chapter 21 and verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like very precious stone, like jasper stone, bright as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. Twelve angels were at the gates, and on the gates names were inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, Three gates on the south and three gates on the west. The city wall had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the Lamb's twelve apostles. And what he's saying here is not only were their names be on it, but this city is for for God's people, Old Testament, New Testament alike. The one who spoke to me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out in a square; its length and width are the same. He measured the city with a rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the human measurement which the angel used. Now, this is uh, the vast human city, uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles. uh, Some estimate like 1,500 miles uh, each side of the square and up. Uh, It's a vast, vast city. Uh, someone said about two-thirds the size of the United States. It would have to be, I guess, to, to house all of the saints of all time. But uh, great size to it. Um, the building material of its walls was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation, jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, Calcatee, uh The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. Uh, the 6th carnelian, the 7th chrysolite, the 8th beryl, the ninth topaz, the 10th chrysophase, uh, the, the 11th jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The broad street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So each gate is a whole pearl. That's going to be cool to see, won't it? You heard about the pearly gates? Well, this is where it comes from, right here. Um, I did not see a sanctuary in it. There wasn't a temple or a tabernacle in it or a church building because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It will be a place of great wealth, a place of great glory and splendor. Each day, its gates will never close because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing profane will ever enter into it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. That's why you need to trust Jesus while there's time, so you get your name written in that book. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the broad street of the city. On both sides of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will be no longer be any curse. Is that not awesome? The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. We couldn't do that now because we'd be killed. <laughs> they will see his face, we'll have glorified bodies and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist and the people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God We'll give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your great promises. We thank you, Father, that your word is true and trustworthy. We thank you, Father, for a promised city where we'll be able to dwell. We thank you for we'll be able to see your face, God, that we'll be able to live in in that city without sin, without problems, without curse ever again. What an awesome, awesome God you are. Father, I pray for these who are gathered here today. Uh, Lord, that you would help each and every one to respond to you in the way that you desire them to respond to you today. For it's in Jesus' name.